are listening to True Crime Fiction, feeding your addiction to the best of the written and the spoken word in crime. If you would like to support the podcast, you can do so for as little as £1 at patreon.com slash truecrimefiction. We all know that periods of time get names. There are decades like the Roaring Twenties or the Great Depression in America's 1930s. Artistic styles are also named as periods of creation, such as Baroque or Rococo. There may be more scientific names covering great swathes of time in geology before humans even graced the planet, or by people who were alive, defined by the narrowness of kingly or queenly reigns. There are so many ways to name any kind of time frame, decade, century, or even the amount of time it takes for a continent to break up and move away from itself. One thing all these names have in common is it is rarely those who are alive at the time who get to do the naming. So what may the future decide to name now? What will be the most defining element of the lives we are currently living? If we focus purely on the genre of crime, I propose that this may be called the era of hindsight or reckoning. One in which we have had to come to terms with the fact our sometimes willful blindness as a society has allowed abuse to flourish. Whether it's against children, other ethnicities, or in the workplace, we are more aware than ever that these things happen when before they were unceremoniously swept under the carpet or hushed up. We are not yet out of this age, though, perhaps only partway through it, because while we have now all woken up to the fact that abuse can so easily happen, We are still a culture and society a bit confused about how we can deal with it. Nowhere are we more confused than when it comes to a great artist in the broadest sense of the word. A person whose work has become so ubiquitous or well-loved, a large amount of people form varying degrees of parasocial relationship with them. That invisible bond means that many people feel much more investment in that person, in their success, in the narrative of their life than they do for others whom they have the same amount or sometimes even more day-to-day contact with. This means the shock of their fall can reverberate through people in a way it would never happen for less public figures. There have always been people of extreme talent who have done bad things. Caravaggio, who painted wonderfully dark and violent paintings, was tried 11 times for various crimes and also committed murder. This is sometimes remarked upon when his work is discussed, but the horror he himself committed in taking another's life is seen more as some kind of artistic influence. Creativity and crime does not, however, stop at Caravaggio. Richard Dad stabbed his father to death, Picasso received stolen goods, Scheele was arrested and ran out of Chesky Kormov for painting local girls in the nude. It doesn't stop and start with visual artists either. 
Sid Vicious killed Nancy Spurgeon, Chuck Berry was arrested for armed robbery, and Ian Watkins, lead singer of Lost Prophets, is currently serving time in jail for some truly horrendous sexual crimes against children and infants. After King of Pop, Michael Jackson was tried and acquitted on several counts of child molestation in 2005. Many fans breathed a sigh of relief being able to say that he was indeed innocent. Their parasocial relationship remained intact, perhaps for some even strengthened by the fact they had stayed stalwart fans while others had deserted him. The taint of accusation never left Jackson, however, and he descended into drug addiction that eventually ended his life. After his death, the film Leaving Neverland came out. It is hard to watch the men who, at primary school age, probably struggled to make sense of and understand what had happened to them, speak openly about how Jackson had exploited their fandom and age for his own sexual gratification. There is much respect for the way they have been able, even in the face of disbelief and pressure from fans, now tell their story with the benefit of hindsight and adult knowledge. There is indeed a ring of truth to not just their words, but their whole demeanour, tone, body language. The looks to the side or down to their laps when pausing in a description. The quiet pain you can see when another closes a box of jewellery Jackson had bribed him with in return for sexual favours. These powerful testimonies mean that everyone who watched the film realised that yes, Michael Jackson had sexually abused children. With the star dead and no longer able to answer for his crimes, people were left in a strange place, loving the music and art he created, but yet hating the crimes he had committed, while understanding that the thing that made him a genius was also the thing that arrested his development and probably set the stage for him to become abusive later in life. Michael, however, isn't the only musician to have had underage sexual contact. David Bowie, Steve Tyler, Mick Jagger all committed this crime in the chaotic age of the groupie and their actions were not so openly talked about. So what makes Michael Jackson stand out? Partly the fact that many of the children were much younger in Jackson's case. He met them before puberty, which puts the contact in a different category than that with a child who has gone through puberty, though that is not in any way to dismiss the experience of young teens who have been sexually abused. It is all abhorrent. In Think Twice, hosts Leon Nafak and Jay Smooth let the story of Jackson's life unfold with interviews from many people who were far closer to Jackson and the circus that surrounded him than any of his fans were. We hear from a woman who was being set up to be his beard, from journalists involved in the planting of stories, even old school friends, all people who at some point had the chance to observe Jackson. Not one of them tried to defend what he did and it was palpable to hear that some of them are yet to find resolution between their fandom and the knowledge of what he was capable of. 
It also at times feels like there's a struggle between the crimes he committed and his innate innocence. We like to think that those we perceive as innocent are, well, innocent. However, it was Jackson's innocence, his boyish joy, that enabled people to think he was not a threat. But it was exactly the thing that made him one. Mentally, he was not able to relate well to adults and openly admitted he related more to children because of his lack of childhood and his loneliness. Still, as childlike as he may have been, he was someone living in a grown-up body with all that it needs and wants. Nafak and Smooth have struggled with their Jackson fandom and understanding him in a bid to resolve their feelings is the central conflict of Think Twice. It is something of a biography or fanography, picking over what we already know about Jackson's traumatic childhood, which is probably the root of his offending, and also historicising the parasocial relationship his fans had with him and attempts to manipulate the media. Think Twice Michael Jackson is an important piece of the puzzle as people come to terms with their support of somebody who abused young boys. Although I would suggest it is a stop along the way of resolving the issue rather than the end. It will be interesting to also compare the reaction to Jackson's behaviour and the struggle to resolve that with the love of his art with how we treat ordinary people who have behaved similarly. They are undoubtedly people who children need to be protected from, and they are unlikely to do well in a society where sexual abuse of a child is possibly seen as as one, if not the worst, crime. After all, there can be times when a murder could be considered justified, such as in defence of self or others. However, there is no time when abusing a child can be deemed morally right. Which leaves us with the question, What does celebrity wrongdoing mean compared with ordinary people's wrongdoing? Are celebrities somehow less culpable in the eyes of society? If we can sympathise with the child Jackson, who is so beaten and lonely, do we then have to sympathise with the childhood of all those who commit similar crimes and come to a place of understanding? A study from Cambridge University shows having been a victim in childhood has a strong correlation with offending behaviour in adulthood. Does that mean that adult abuse of children is actually indicative of a society that has failed in its duty to help and support child victims to healthily manage and heal from the terrible circumstances they have been put through? And what exactly is fear? for anyone who's been on the receiving end of this behaviour. Is the law for all, or only for those too poor to afford excellent legal representation? It is not for the Michael Jackson fandom alone to solve these difficult questions. However, we cannot ignore that it is the ardent fandom of Jackson, his place above us all, that contributed to his crimes. It is likely some of these questions will continue to linger for as long as we continue to put people on pedestals, as long as we use any metric to measure human worth that is more complex 
than simply being human. You have been listening to True Crime Fiction, the podcast that is feeding your addiction to all things crime. You can find our website at true-crime-fiction.com, on Twitter at true underscore crime underscore fic, on Facebook and Instagram as True Crime Fiction. Please rate and review on the podcast app of your choice. Music is by Kitty Kitty Meow Meow.